I'm most proud that we have been able to not only create Box Clever, but create a place where other people want to be. You know, it's, it's something that other people want to enjoy and, and we can share that in a way that feels really equal with, with everyone in the business. And I really love that feeling that it's a shared enterprise that we all give to it, but we all get back and it, it provides that kind of function for everybody that, that's with us. Hello and welcome to the Soapbox podcast, a podcast that gives you an insight into the people that do insight best. I'm Richard Brown, a research director at Box Clever, and I'm joined as ever by the excellent Tilly Lewis, our marketing manager. Our fifth guest is Claire Borman, and she's somebody we've waited a while to speak to. She's the last founding partner of Box Clever on our list. She's the one we've yet to interrogate, but she's here today. Claire, thank you for joining us. Uh, you are known for your passion to help brands gain a deeper understanding of their audience and most recently won the AQR Excellence Awards. You also love adopting a stray animal or two and the odd bit of techno music. Welcome. Thanks, guys. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> nice to be here. Claire, this is always a good starting point. How did you end up in research? Well, I think like most people, it wasn't a, an intention. It wasn't a direct route. It wasn't even on the list of possible careers. But I suppose I rejected the things I thought I would like and was left with some criteria that kind of landed me looking at research. So wanted to be a vet, decided that'd be great, love animals, Just then discovered I wasn't great with needles, hated blood, probably wouldn't be brilliant in the operating theatre Wanted to be a journalist, did loads of work experience, you went out and got kind of grounded in it and then discovered actually, well, I was a court reporter for a while, which was brilliant. I really liked the idea of being, you know, in the public gallery, writing up all the juicy stories of the cases. Um, and then you'd, you'd get your work edited, all the great bits slashed out because of what you could and couldn't say. So actually working with people, looking at stories, understanding what was going on in the world. That was kind of how I thought, you know, oh, research could be an interesting career. So what phase of your life were you a court reporter then? When I was at uni, I did my summer holidays on the Telegraph and Argus paper in Bradford, the wow. College Evening Telegraph, all for free, you know, the classic intern. But, you know, you, you're really the lowest of the low as an intern. So you get to do all the, the fun stuff, but equally... You have absolutely no control over what gets published. So, can you remember your favourite court case at all? Not really. It was a long time ago, today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nothing juicy that sticks. It was. I do remember one story I covered, which was big news of the day in in Bradford, which was all about Mabel's hundredth birthday trip in a hot air balloon. <laughs> so that was kind of a new low. <laughs> And that was not how I saw my future, reporting on 100th birthday parties for lovely old ladies. And if you didn't get into research, what do you think you might have gotten into? I honestly don't know. I think um, I did sociology as part of my degree. So I was really fascinated by prisons, stories of crime, you know, that, that sense of how people's lives take a turn and they end up in situations that maybe aren't great for their future. So maybe I'd have ended up in that kind of territory. I don't know. It's hard to know, isn't it? 
Well, that's what happened to me. You know. <laughs> story of you, were, you were in prison. <laughs> no, no, but poor decisions, life went a certain way, end up in qual. <laughs> we heard from Catherine on like first jobs, early jobs. She was a bingo caller. Matt sold trampolines. Mm. Charlotte was, was in housekeeping and, and loving it, bizarrely. What about you, Claire? Surely you've had some... I think I've got the most glamorous job. I used to work in a recycling centre before we all recycled. So the, the recycling of old was emptying out people's wheelie bins onto a great big conveyor belt and poor little people like me picking out the recyclable bits and putting it into a big bin. Yeah, it was really glamorous. <laughs> going to say does it set you up for a good yeah, career in, in qual <laughs> i did a, a, also work in a, a factory that made water meters my job was on the production line but i was so bad at it that they promoted me because once you made a water meter it had to go to testing and it had to be validated to move on and but mine used to fail testing so i got promoted to testing so i couldn't ruin any more <laughs> Well, at least you didn't get fired claire that's good mm, yeah good good i guess <laughs> I mean, you found your your niche, your role, the job for you. But for any youngsters out there who are thinking about a career in insight, what would your advice be to them? I think my advice, particularly for those thinking of qual, would be to think about how good a listener they are and how naturally they take what they hear and they turn it into a story about what's really going on. And I think if you have that skill to listen and observe and then translate, that that's the core of insight. Um, and obviously being a great analyst, thinking, overthinking things, I think is probably a characteristic of most insight professionals in terms of being able to put boundaries and, and guardrails and thoughts around stuff that's happening and have a view on why that might be. And if you have that curiosity, you'd be great. And do you think you have to have that kind of naturally or do you think that that can be nurtured and developed i think if you're not naturally a bit nosy and a bit curious it's probably quite a boring job because effectively we're all working on stuff different themes different topics that maybe aren't the most interesting thing initially but you have to find something great and, and interesting in everything you do otherwise you'll be bored so i think yeah curiosity passion for storytelling and actually i suppose being interested in lots of stuff you know being happy to turn your hand to new topics new themes and not necessarily be an expert at any of those you know yourself sam and Catherine set up what's clever uh, 11 years ago now what was it like setting up a business comparing it from then three of you to now well 30 of us how's that oh it's been amazing i mean it, what a, what a journey and, and we continue to be on a, a brilliant journey i think we and I personally, I'm enjoying every second and, and wouldn't have it any other way. Yes, it's a roller coaster. Yes, you have no idea what's around the corner. And with all the best planning and, and anticipation in the world, you still have to be comfortable with, with that feeling of not necessarily being able to predict what's going to happen. But it's joyous. You know, you have a whole massive series of firsts, you know, your first project, your first client, your first recruit, your first million, your, you know, your first new office, you know, all those things feel really seminal and, and I think there's a lot of joy in being able to share that with the, the team as they as the team grows. There's that sense of, I think, us being a sum of, of of the parts. You know, every every new recruit, we're just a little bit better. We add something brilliant and new to to our armory, and that's really exciting all the time. It never gets boring. That feeling of what's next, who's next, how are we going to adapt, what's the future going to bring. 
And when you were making substandard water meters, would you have ever anticipated being where you are now doing what you're doing? God, no. I mean, ironically, I was quite a shy teenager. I The thought of standing up in front of an audience and presenting, telling anyone anything would have been terrifying to me at 15, 16 years old. So, you know, in my first forays into to insight and in, into agency life, within a couple of weeks, I was presenting to Lund Polly, you know, travel agent of the day. And I was absolutely terrified. You know, it was like nothing on earth. But I think also what I hadn't realised was the exhilaration of being the person that knew most in the room about what we were talking about, you know, being the expert for that hour was quite a ride. I really enjoyed that, that feeling of you know, helping the direction of that business in the future. And I don't think that ever got boring, that sense of being able to move the future, I suppose, and use insight to help do that. And do you still have an element of being nervous when you present Absolutely. to this day? Every time. If I wasn't nervous, I'd be worried. Yeah. This, I think that's what drives your adrenaline, your your kind of performance. You need it. I, I think that it changes. I would bet that you aren't genuinely nervous anymore. I bet that it's more a case of getting in the zone, as sports people say, where you have to start to focus and you start to prepare for doing something that you care about, that you want to go well, which can feel a little bit like being nervous. But I suppose the difference is, I think, with nervousness, you, you probably feel a little bit out of control with the situation. Whereas today, you would obviously be typically, I'd hope, be much more in control of the situation. It's just a question of doing it and doing it really, really well. And I think that what you talked about doing your first presentation and being terrified and, and frightened is an important thing. If there are any youngsters out there for them to hear, because I had the same experience and I'd gone through school, ended up doing stuff on stage and ended up, I guess, fancying myself as a decent presenter. But the first time I ever presented professionally, I was awful. And I think I was quite cute. I think that the people I was presenting to were like, ah, oh, bless him. And that got me away with it. And I remember saying, on the, you know, leaving that building, saying to my, you know, my boss or whatever, like, oh, wow, you know, that really didn't go very well. And he said something kind of kind, like you weren't your normal self. Um, <laughs> but it, my my point is, it did get a lot better. Mm. So if you are young and you're struggling, if you keep going, yeah. you know, it won't, it doesn't have to be like that forever. When you're first starting out, there's nerves plus panic and that mm. sense of, I, I'm not sure I can do this. And I think as you get more experience that there are nerves, which you need, but you also know you've prepared, you know, you can handle the room, you know, you can handle the questions, you know, the project inside out. And I think particularly as a senior person who runs the project and works on it all the way through, you have that confidence that you've been there at every turn. You know this intuitively better than anyone. Yeah. And that's really powerful, I think, to have that confidence. I remember starting out that my main worry was, well, what if someone asked me a question that I don't know the answer to? And actually sometimes being transparent and saying, do you know what, I'll I'll come back to you on that one is, is so much better than just blagging an answer as well it Definitely. takes a lot of confidence to say i don't know i know but it doesn't it no, but it's, it sounds so much better than trying to make something up on the hoof and i think that can be really daunting and i think that's what you don't know when you're starting out what's acceptable to you that, no. you, that you can say look i'll come back to you on that one you know we'll have another look into that for you we've you know we've obviously got time beyond the end of the project to to help you with that so it's being more self-assured i think and, and feeling you can do that with that in mind, Claire, what's been your worst moment in research? Well, there's been many, many <laughs> worst moments, Tilly. I was thinking about this on the train yesterday. And actually, I suppose 
drunk participants. They've their fun. Combative participants, you know, who want to argue with each other. That's good fun. I've had a few um, wardrobe malfunctions, I would say, during, <laughs> after, before focus groups, client meetings, including losing a heel on the underground, splitting my trousers in a focus group, you know, that kind of jazz, all good fun. I think probably the one that I, I learned most from was quite early on in my career, but I'd arranged a, a new business meeting with a client who I didn't know that very well and travelled for probably three or four hours to get there. When I got there, I discovered he'd actually gone on holiday for two weeks to Mallorca and hadn't bothered to let me know. So I learned a really big lesson in confirming meetings, you know, being a bit more upfront with those quite nervy new contacts and actually saying that this is how this is going to work. So yeah, I've had a, had a few bad ones. So I think my probably my worst traumatic experience was I used to do a lot of international work and I was traveling to Shanghai. The person who'd booked my travel neglected to tell me that I'd fly into one airport in Shanghai and actually the next day, nine o'clock the next morning when I was leaving, we had a really quick turnaround. I was actually traveling out of a different airport. In fact, I didn't even know there were two airports in Shanghai in all honesty. So I rock up to my airport with an hour before my flight to find out that I'm two hours across town and I need to get a rig along to, to catch it. So that wasn't yeah, great. <laughs> pretty stressful. But with that in, in mind, what's been your, your best moment in research? There's been lots of brilliant moments and they continue to be. Um, I think winning Best New Agency for Box Clever was a a really big high. You know, we were a year in. We really didn't expect to be even in the, in the running. And I think being able to to feel that level of recognition from not only clients, you know, but also the industry was, was really nice. And it really made us feel supported, I think, in going ahead and giving it our all and continuing to, to fight the good fight. It's funny because yourself, Sam and Catherine have all agreed on that as your, yeah, it's really nice to hear. <laughs> yeah, it was a really big deal. And I think because it was so out of the blue, it made a, a big difference emotionally. And I think going back to what we were talking about imposter syndrome, that sense, even at that point, could we really do this? I think we weren't particularly self-assured at that point, really. And actually, it gave us that validation that not only could we do it, but what we were doing was being noticed and recognised, which was great. Do you have any niche or geeky interests? <laughs> you know that I do. <laughs> well, I love a gritty thrime thriller, you know, TV, book, and any kind of, the grittier the better, particularly if it's in a foreign language with subtitles. I, I recently watched some stuff from Russia, which was really illuminating. But, you know, getting a sense of bit of culture, bit of travel, but a really good, grippy, gritty Nasty storyline. I, I like that. I have an allotment, which is pretty geeky. My kids tell me it's pretty boring. I tell you what, though, Claire, from some of the stories you've told me about the allotment, it, it's like a little soap opera down there. You could write a really good <laughs> book about the allotment. Um, I'm yet to uncover all the sexual um, goings on. I'm sure there are many, but there's certainly a bit of theft, a bit of falling out, certainly a lot of um, rumblings over the size of people's marrows and whatnot. So yeah, it's good, good entertainment, much more than I anticipated. So I am attempting to grow fruit and veg, which is not always successful. I do like a, a bit of techno, but not so much these days. I do also really like flowers and growing flowers and I want to go to the flower show. That's pretty boring, isn't it? So not so much geeky, just boring, I think. No, I think <laughs> I think everyone's got their right to their own interests and flowers are nice as well. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You've alluded to this a little already, Claire, in talking about, you know, how you were when you were about sort of 15 or so. I'd like to hear more about that. Like, how do you feel that you've changed over time? And is it something that has occurred sort of naturally? Have you, have you worked at change? 
I wouldn't say I've worked at change, really, if I was honest. I am quite different, I think, now to how I was. So I was a very shy, awkward, quiet teenager, quite studious, really. Probably in the eyes of the cool crowd at school, probably very invisible, apart from obviously red hair, which is never going to do you any favours, is it, as a teenager in a comprehensive school being, you know, ginger is not a great asset. So I think you learn to be quite tough and to to kind of let some some of that kind of stuff slide really and, and not affect you. I was really sporty, so I was really competitive. I actually had quite a lot of friendship groups through sport, you know, both in and out of school and lots of different sports that I was involved in. So I played hockey, I did running, I was involved in orienteering, played a bit of netball, you know, all sorts of stuff really. So so I suppose I always got a buzz out of competing and, and wanting to win. So I think that that's threaded through my life really in terms of if you're going to do something, you may as well do it properly and have a good go at it. Otherwise, what's the point? So I think it informs how you approach life rather than deliberately changing maybe. I'm surprised because I had this idea and I don't know where I got it from that you were going to say that you were a bit naughty. No, no, I wasn't at all naughty. I would I would have liked to have thought I was quite naughty. I think the, the, the age group I came through school with, there was a really naughty, you know, set of lads in our school. So I think by comparison, everyone else was pretty, pretty sensible, really. Claire, give us an opinion, you know, everyone else seems to disagree with. That's a really hard question. I suppose the only opinion I have that most people think, well, most people don't agree with is I really love sherry, <laughs> old women's sherry, sweet sherry, harvest Bristol cream sherry. So that is probably an unpopular, very uncool hobby habit, whatever you want to call it. But it's definitely um, a personal passion. So no Christmas is the same without. I was going to say, is it a particular time of year you crack out the sherry? Or? Well, definitely Christmas. Um, but I did toast the Queen recently. Of course. In the garden with a glass of sherry, as I felt was fitting to. Do you have a specific memory. glass that you like to drink your sherry out of? Well, I do have. I inherited a sherry glass from my <laughs> nana. That's the glass of choice. <laughs> Claire, do you have any regrets? Do I have any regrets? I do have one regret, actually, which is when I went to uni, I kind of gave up sport because it was a bit uncomfortable to join loads of new clubs and, you know, get involved in, in the social scene, I suppose, the new scene. And I really regret that. I, I wish I'd carried on because it meant I was out of the scene, really, for quite a long time. And I feel like I'd have really enjoyed that at that mm. age and I wish I'd carried on, really. But yeah, advice to younger self, don't give up on things just because just they're hard. And obviously... You know that at Box Clever, a big passion of everyone's is food. Absolutely. And I don't disagree with that. Food so, is amazing. So I'm sure that you're probably aware that on each episode, we we do have a bit of a debate and it's around potatoes. And we've, we ask this to everyone that comes on the show. Where do you stand on the chips versus fries versus wedges debate? It's quite tricky, this, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So... I do love a good French fry, but I would say if I had to choose only one forevermore, it would be chip shop chips. Chip bit shop. soggy, but with a few crispy bits on, scraps on top. So yeah, not wedges, not particularly sweet potato. I think I'm a traditionalist at heart, really. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've shared my views on wedges many times, both here and off air. They're um, not right, are they really, wedges? I just don't really see the point. I'm prepared to listen, but I'll, I'll take some turning, that's for sure. Tell us something that everyone believes about you that isn't actually true. 
I think people think I'm quite self-assured and super confident and quite collected in, in most of my working life. And actually, that isn't really how I feel a lot of the time when, I'm, when I am you know, involved in any projects or presenting or whatever. So I really recognise imposter syndrome in, in myself. I think you can control that feeling, but actually, and it's, you know, it has peaks and troughs, but I, I don't feel that I deliver on other people's expectations a lot of the time, which is interesting, isn't it, when you look at yourself like that? As we were discussing earlier that, you know, with Boxclub is very much a senior-led team and, and sometimes with that can make certain people feel intimidated and, you know, there's obviously very, everyone's very talented and, and brings their own kind of skill set to Box Clever, and that can also make people think, oh God, what, what am I doing here? What's what's going on? So yeah, I, th- I think it's it's refreshing to hear that from someone that obviously we all think, well, we all know how great you are at your job and I would never ever think of you as feeling like that. Yeah, and I think the way through all of that is to prepare well, to, to feel that you know what you're doing and you've backed up your own viewpoints um, and actually to recognise when things go well as well, to, you know, to challenge your own perception. It can be frustrating though if you know how you feel and other people, when you explain that, say, nah, mm. no you're not. And you think, well actually I am, I've just shared, but you're not willing to accept it. <laughs> um, but I do know how I feel. So I accept it, Claire, even oh, though thanks, outwardly <laughs> we wouldn't necessarily understand that. Claire, do you have a, a brand or a product that you have an emotional connection with? I'm not mass, a massive brand fan, but in terms of products, I would say the products I really gravitate towards are the kind of those authentic quite natural products. So if you were to speak to me as a brand, it would be all about talking about, you know, your your authentic provenance, you know, how you are crafted naturally, you know, from the the world around us. So I think those kinds of messages really speak to me. But am I a brand aficionado? No, nah. especially. <laughs> That's very worthy. Quite fickle, actually. <laughs> Claire, and I think very commendable. Because as you were talking, I was worried that I was going down the opposite route and that, you know, as, as the light flickers and my life comes to an end, I think the last thing I'll think about will be like an ice cold red can of Coke. <laughs> Something like that. That'll be the last thing that, that I dream of. If you were stuck on a desert island with one of the Butts Clever crew, who would it be? Just one. Mm, Difficult just one. choice. You can have more than one because... Um, who was it that really overthought it? Charlotte, I think. She had, oh, she yeah. had a, Charlotte. She had, basically, she had a crew. Charlotte was going on holiday with Dan and Stephen, basically. Yeah, I can imagine Charlotte likes to be well prepared and yeah. have all bases covered, so that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, who would I take with me? I think I might take Deb, actually. She makes a great cup of tea. I know she'd have her Yorkshire tea bags in her back pocket always. She's pragmatic and sensible. So if anyone was going to get off, off of there without any further ado and no messing about it would be Deb I imagine she'd know how to light a fire as well from yeah, she's, like nothing she's a good outdoors girl isn't mm. she so she can walk for days yeah I think you know if anyone's gonna survive I'd like to be with a survivor <laughs> and then yeah who else probably someone for entertainment you know because it'd be pretty boring wouldn't it be after a while so I don't know maybe you know any one of the crew to be fair could be entertaining <laughs> But, you know, maybe you, Tilly. Oh, you thanks, know, Claire. You've always got something to say for yourself. You've always <laughs> to look quite, quite, quite happy to have a good chat, view on most things. You know, we'd pass the time of day pretty well, wouldn't we? So practicality and entertainment, that would be my top top agenda. 
We could have a techno night on the. We on could the, on make our own music. <laughs> <laughs> what about a dessert island? What would if you, there was a dessert island? What would you most like it to Desserts be? Desserts are really close to my heart, so this is quite a tricky. I think I would I would probably want something like sticky toffee pudding, or apple crumble, maybe rhubarb crumble actually, custard, mm. all the trimmings. Do you have it with custard or with ice cream? Definitely custard. With custard. My dad would have custard and ice cream, but I wouldn't mix the two. I think that's a really bad idea. Uh, Just custard. Separate ramekins. I could live with that, but in the same bowl. Yeah, no. I couldn't do that. It's awful. It's too much. And actually, I would have cold custard as well. Cold custard? I really like cold custard. Wow. Hot with pudding. a hot pudding and cold a cold custard, custard on top. Because, you know, when you always when you make crumble, it's always too hot when it comes out of the oven, doesn't it? You can oh, never, yeah. I can never wait long enough for it to cool oh, down. Oh, no, you, you so your take cold the roof of your mouth off. <laughs> takes the temperature down, but... Well, the problem with crumble, especially when I was a kid, was always the fruit. So I started to fantasise about crumble crumble. Oh, just all... I used to do exactly the same. Double crumble. All, all and double. then whether you want ice cream or custard so basically or just cream. biscuits and ice cream. Yeah. Yeah. All the topping, <laughs> no, basically. A bowl exactly. of the topping. Crumble crumble. Yeah. I I think you're onto something there. I think you could... You're the only person I've mentioned it to that hasn't been upset by it. So... I'll yeah. buy you your crumbles now. Yeah, thanks. And actually, there was that X Factor entry, wasn't there, a few years ago, the lady that sang about crumble. Oh, yeah, so yeah. Good at cooking my crumble. My kids used to play that to me and say, this is you in a few years. <laughs> this is a, a tricky question. Do you think you could get away with murder? Do you know what? I think I probably could. I think you could. <laughs> Having watched so many gritty TV dramas, I think, well, at least to dispose of a body, I think I'd have a good idea how to do that without getting caught. Not obviously that I have murderous <laughs> tendencies. Gosh, what will the world think? Um, however, I think, you know, there's probably a formula f- for doing it well. Well, Ma- you know some good spots life. as well with obviously walking yeah. Kenny, your dog. Yeah. In some very remote areas. Nice, remote, <laughs> easy to access car parks with no CCTV. <laughs> a good river running along. Exactly, see. Can't be that hard, surely. I just feel like I'd be undone by one mistake, like by a critical mistake. Like I left a, like a, a picture of myself at the scene or something like that. It's everything meticulous apart from that one thing. Claire, what are you most proud of in your working life? I'm most proud that we have been able to not only create Box Clever, but create a place where other people want to be. You know, it's, it's something that other people want to enjoy and, and we can share that in a way that feels really equal with with everyone in the business. And I really love that feeling that it's a shared enterprise that we all give to it, but we all get back. And it, it provides that kind of function for everybody that, that's with us. And do you think it's kind of what you set out for it to be when you, yourself, Sam and Catherine sat around that table? Yeah, I do. And I think I'm most proud that we've managed to retain that integrity, that sense of, you know, it must be possible to have a great home life and to do brilliant work for clients and and for those two things to coexist in a way that makes everybody happy you know that's not so difficult and actually we've proven that that's not only possible but that we can really enhance that experience that everyone enjoys that process as well so enjoying the journey is really important Mm. and I, I feel most proud that not only have we done that but we are continually able to do that and can see that that will carry on what a heartwarming and positive answer Oh. But now tell us. <laughs> you don't believe me, Rich. No, no, I do believe you, but I want to find out uh, what annoys you, what really winds you up. 
lots of things annoy me. I'm quite, I think I'm quite impatient actually. So yeah, stuff not happening straight, happening straight. We're having to wait, you know, delayed gratification annoys me. You know, I think if you've made your mind up about doing something or wanting something and then just what have we got to wait for? It annoys me when people complain about stuff with no reason, you know, that sense of it just, you need to get it out there. That annoys me. But I accept sometimes that's necessary. You know, we're all human, aren't we? But yeah, it's annoying. People being late annoys me, even though I'm quite often late. I'm aware I'm probably annoying other people. And I think not seeing the opportunity and stuff, you know, there's always an opportunity in everything you look at and, and to to consistently view things in a way that looks at the negative frustrates me over time because I think you know, it makes me want to shake people and, and show them that actually there's always a good side to everything. you just got to look for it. Practically in life, lots of other little things annoy me. I maybe shouldn't bore you with my domestic rubbish, but yeah, not been able to find the TV remote. <laughs> TV's being left on. Teenage children who eat your chocolate biscuits and then put the packet back in the cupboard empty. That annoys me. I won't go on. There's lots of nuances <laughs> to family life that are wearing. Do you think your um, boys will listen to, to this podcast, Claire? More likely snigger than listen. (laughs) (laughs) And I was going to ask, but then I think we've already got the answer. Do you think that as you get older, you're getting more relaxed and accepting? Or are you sort of going down that route of getting grumpier and grumpier? I think both, actually. I think in some walks of life, you get a bit more accepting. I think you become a little bit more reasonable that, you know, we all have ups and downs in life and people are just people, aren't they? And you you catch someone on a bad day and you're going to get not such a favourable impression. But equally... Everyone becomes stroppier, I think, as you you get older, you become less tolerant of the things you think are not worthy of your time. Mm. So why should I bother investing energy in trying here when it's just annoying? So I think that drives a lot of frustration. And do you have um, a motto or a mantra that you try to live by? I think just being positive, you know, trying to be really upbeat about everything that you approach is a really good way to look at life. Mm. I'm not one for complication, as you well know. So just, you know, that that's trying to find the positive in everything, I think is a really good skill. And actually, you know, when you do have periods of being anxious or feeling, I don't know, that things are difficult, it's a good way to trick yourself out of some of those negative feelings. It's draining being negative as well. Mm. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's tiring. exhausting. What's the, um, the best project you've ever been involved with? I appreciate there's been many. I think... If I was being really selfish, some of the food tasting work that we've done over the years is always brilliant. So having access to R&D, you know, being able to help consumers experience the taste of products and then obviously to be involved in in taste profiling and so on is, is really good. I really enjoy that. But also the really big strategic stuff. So I, I love a great segmentation. I, I really love brand planning work. So we're looking at, you know, brand positioning and taking that right through to creative execution. So all of the, the work in, in that space um, and obviously, you know, we've when you work with a, a brand that you are excited by or interested by, or is just plain glamorous, like Jimmy Choo, you know, mm. that was a great project. We didn't get free shoes, but it was a brilliant project. <laughs> <laughs> what are your views on aliens, Claire? <laughs> <laughs> That's a bit of a segue, isn't it? <laughs> I think there's definitely aliens out there. Yeah. I mean, it'd be really arrogant, wouldn't it, to think we were the only people in the universe. Do I have any evidence? No, none whatsoever. But there was when I was in my um, reporter days, I did once interview a guy who swore blind he'd saw a UFO on Ilkley Moor. Oh, really? And apparently, you know, there were quite a lot of sightings and, and even specific alien sightings. So he was 
quite adamant that they existed. I never had any evidence, but no. Did it get published? Uh, it got edited. <laughs> but it did get published in one form or other. I just think if you got back to Alien HQ, and your boss would be like, It'll clean did, more. did anyone? Wait, where did you go? And you went, oh, I just went over the moors. I'm like, why? Oh, I don't know. And then they were like, Do you think anyone saw you? And you'd be like, uh, No. <laughs> Like, why would an alien spacecraft accidentally get seen? Oh, I forgot to put the cloaking device on. Shit. <laughs> Don't tell the boss when we get back. What about ghosts? Well, I have actually seen a ghost. So Lovely stuff. Definitely tell us more. That. Definitely <laughs> believe in ghosts. So um, this, this was a Sunday afternoon in a local pub. We were popping in for a drink. Not a pub we went to regularly. I was with a group of friends who went straight to the bar to order and off I went to the toilet, you know, as we do. First thing you do when you get there, off to the loo. And it was one of those toilets where you have two doors and about a metre apart, one swings open, you go straight through the other one. So as I'm approaching the first door, there's a woman in front of me wearing a blouse and a skirt, older lady, goes in through the first door, goes through the second door. So as I'm coming in, I can see the second door closing as she's gone into the toilet. Get into the toilet, three cubicles, all empty, no windows. So she's gone. I saw her go in. She's not there. So I'm searching the around like an idiot looking for this The doors had opened woman. as well. Yeah, I, I caught the door on my way in with my hand to kind of stop it shutting as I walked through. So in a nanosecond, she disappeared, this woman. But so the door... So I caught the door as it was closing. You had to catch a door that you didn't yourself move. Yeah. Anyway, so I went to the loo <laughs> thinking, this is really odd. This woman can't have disappeared. Went back out. As the guys are ordering at the bar, talking to the barman. So I'm recounting this story saying, this this just happened. And he was overhearing. And he says, what did she look like, this woman? So I described, you know, older lady, blouse, knee-length skirt, you know, typical 60-year-old woman. And he went back over to the till and he came back with this this photo. And he oh said, my God, oh, was, it this, was it this woman? <laughs> and showed me the, this picture of a woman that could have been this lady and I said well it could have been you know I didn't see her face it could have been her and I said why why would your wife got a picture of that woman he said well um she's the landlady but it's her wake today and I looked back around the bar and there were plates of sandwiches out and people had just gone he said it's just finished but it's her wake today and it's her pub oh my god so I do believe in ghosts I have ever heard (laughs) oh my god Claire that's a cracker. I know. For those of you that couldn't see Rich's face, <laughs> he was absolutely astounded. I absolutely love ghost stories. Yes, yeah, so I do absolutely I. love them because when they're told to you by somebody, you know, and you're not, it's not read on the internet or, or seen on TV or something. So somebody's telling you about their experience. And Andy summed us up really well. Whether you believe in ghosts or not, your experience of having been spooked is real. You feel the sensation and the emotion. So it doesn't really matter whether you believe or not or whether the person you tell believes there's something in the the story because i was there in the pub with you experiencing Mm. it all and i don't think that i mean i've had experiences a little bit not as good as that but those sorts of experiences i've had other people tell me about those sorts of experiences so i always wanted to believe and then as i got older it just sort of seemed less and less credible particularly with all the cctv that we've got and everyone's got something to record within their hand you know and all our ghosts are still from the 19th century you never get like a ghost from the nineties, do you? In a capa tracksuit, <laughs> leg warmers. <laughs> yeah, like. Um... I think the weirdest thing about that story, I didn't at any point feel afraid. You mm. imagine you would be frightened in a situation, and I did not. I just thought it was weird, you know. And I, I checked religiously. There was no window. How could you? This woman have got out. So well, it, it just felt really it's, unexplainable. 
it's made me, it, my story's not as good as that one, but it's made me remember something that happened to me when I was about 15 that, that was really interesting because it was verified by the person that I was with, right? So we came back to my mate Will's house and as you come through his front door, the stairs were on the right and you could see through into like the kitchen and the, like the diner and the, the patio doors were open and his mum was out there watering the, uh, the garden. So we stuck our heads around the banister and he told his mum that we'd come home. We came over, back over the banister and started going up the steps and he stopped in front of me and I was sure I knew why he'd stopped. And he turned around to me with the sort of face that I had when Claire was telling that story. And I said to him, is your dad home? And he said, no, he'll be at work. And then this is the key bit for me, because I said, what did you see? And he said, there's a guy at the table in a suit reading the paper. And that is exactly what I had seen. And obviously there was no guy at the table Ooh. reading a paper in a suit. There was no guy there at all. Because we went like downstairs going like, ah! Um, and his mum was like, you know, he does not hear. But I would have thought trick of the light. But because he told me what I'd seen. Yeah. Oh my God, that really stuck with me. But again, it wasn't scary. It was just really exciting and yeah. interesting. But that house apparently was really haunted. It was really old. Parts of it had been like, well, like on an old monastery. No. Oh. And then Will, when he... Many, many years later, when he was, he was, he bumped into one of his old next door neighbors that, you know, the houses were sort of connected and he didn't know this, this, it was a kid at the time, he's obviously an adult now, he didn't know him very well at all, but they started talking and they started saying, you know, oh, we used to hear and see things in our house and the guy from next door was like, oh yeah, all those houses did. So that was very, yeah, was, yeah. I, mean, I don't believe in it, but I believe in the, the story, if you know what I mean, mm. it makes sense, does it? Yeah, it does. You can believe in what you want to. What's your favourite biscuit? Yeah, <laughs> come on, Claire. <laughs> Lighten the tone. I would say I like a jammy dodger. I really like Maryland chocolate chip cookies. Mostly, oh, come on, Claire. But mostly because, well, the ratio of chocolate chips to cookies is actually really quite strong. And you can eat them in two bites. So, you know, if you've got a cup of tea, you can have quite a few biscuits with one, one cup of tea. You, Rich, of course, <laughs> would not I could be do delicate. more than one in one, I think. <laughs> when we yeah. were kids, that sort of cookie and I, I say in, uh, inverted commas cookie was good but then we got a taste of proper you know like american massive soft too much too, too much. much and they're not a cup of tea biscuits those either they are like cakes oh right, you, you're talking about a dunker you want a good dunker yeah yeah and are you also, a dunker I, I was a child pre the american cookies era <laughs> so that was actually more of a university thing for me rich <laughs> show my age you know what about crisp what's your go-to crisp well, it's not go-to because they don't really exist anymore, but Roysters, T-bone steak. Oh, my you can God, still get die them, for. You can still can get you? them. Can you? Where? Yes. Rich knows the man you've got to, you've behind got the market. market. Yeah. Tell me now. <laughs> you, have to, you have to go out of your way, potentially, but places like B&M uh, have yeah. got a really amazing... And there's another one. It's like Savers or something. There's oh. one in Shipley. Incredible selection of crisps you thought didn't exist anymore yeah. and do. I can tell you now that Roysters are every bit as good as you oh, remember. They're so good. They are like my all-time favourite crisp. Yeah. Um, I would say I'm a good... Se I like Seabrooks. Um, oh, yeah. Those are I also like salt and vinegar discos. They, oh, they are particularly yeah, good. good. Although a little bit they always over-flavoured. Yeah, <laughs> and they always almost like they're on the cusp of going off the, yeah. the texture, if <laughs> yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. They're unique. Yeah. Okay. They or are, unique. Yeah. <laughs> Or cheese and onion walkers would be my, like, staple. What in about a, a McCoy? Do you like a McCoy? Mm, they're all right. Yeah? I, I wouldn't. I'm not a massive fan. Pringle? Yeah. yeah. Sour cream Pringles. Do you have any tattoos, Claire? 
I don't have any tattoos. I'm currently debating tattoos with my nearly 18-year-old. So about him getting He them? would like yeah. one. What would I he would like? prefer him not to have one. <laughs> what would he like? Not sure. We've not, no. we've not we haven't gone, gone that, that far. far. <laughs> Claire, what keeps you awake at night? Mm, that, I am quite a good sleeper, but I am a really early riser. So I would say it doesn't keep me awake, but it's, it's what wakes me up at about 4am. And it's quite often really random stuff. For a while, I had a book by my bed and I used to write down my first thought of the day, which when you read back over them... It's quite disturbing, to be honest. There's all sorts of random (laughs) rubbish. So, yeah, I wouldn't say I stress so much I can't sleep. I think sleep's really important. And if I do feel a bit like I'm not going to be able to get to sleep, a hot bath every time. And it works? Yeah, it works a treat. I was going to say, things that keep you up must be your reminders of um, how many animals you do have at the moment, Claire. We have four cats, one dog and a tank full of fish. (laughs) And we are having no more. Yeah, so, so I do get woken in yeah, the night exactly. by random meows, dogs barking. Um, and actually, we have a kitten, or oh, he's not well, he's a bit more grown up than that now, but they like to play fight about 4 a.m. So, which is always nice. Yeah, great. So, I suppose the real answer is what makes wakes me up in the night at night is the, the sound of a cat or a dog about to be <laughs> sick is. is pretty likely to get me out of bed quickly i had that just last night so yeah know that feeling very well and it's you shoot out of bed as well yeah better than a burglar (laughs) if you had to say thank you or sorry to someone claire who would that person be that's a really hard question i think i'd say thank you to my long-suffering family if I was really honest for all the I can't quite get there or can you cover that for me or I'm busy or I'm going to be late or I'm going to miss things because I think you know over the years I have made sacrifices in order to do you know all the things that we've we've done with Bots Clever and you know ultimately the family does pay that price a little bit so a thank you really would be to them for all their endurance I suppose. I don't generally say sorry because I I try not to do things that make it worthy, first of all, but also I'm quite self-reflective. So I think if I feel like I've done something that needs a sorry, I do say it quite quickly. I hate to sit on an argument. I hate to go to bed on an argument. I hate that feeling of, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. So... So there you have it. It's not all focus groups, animal noises and ghosts. There's a lot more to research. And can we just say thank you to Claire for coming on today? As always, it's been a pleasure. On our next episode, we're joined by a very special guest. He's well known in the market research industry. He's a mentor, a coach, and one of Aura's treasurers. It's Tom Kerr. And as always, we'd love to hear from you. So please do get in touch with us via our Twitter account at WeBotsClever. And our hashtag is hashtag SoapBoxClever. And that's all one word. You can also email us via Tilly Lewis at boxcleverconsulting.com. So if you've got a question for us, be that about market research, biscuits, insight, you just get in touch and... Uh, I mean, send us your ghost stories. Yeah, and ghost stories. I mean, if it beats Claire's, then... It won't be Claire's, yeah. but I still want to hear it. <laughs> Do get in touch. And uh, thank you for listening. Thank you.